Mindy Corcoran is opening her heart in her new book, Healing a Shattered Soul. It's a story about the hate crime that took the lives of her son, Reet Underwood, and her father, Dr. William Corcoran, in 2014. Both were shot and killed in the parking lot of the Jewish Community Center. A woman, Terry Lomano, was also shot and killed at nearby Village Shalom, both in Overland Park, Kansas. It was a hate crime targeting Jews. And now this white Christian woman from the suburbs is sharing her story and her message about the dangers of hatred. This week, a conversation with Mindy Corcoran. We're used to seeing us on the evening news. This conversation is different. I'm Haley Harrison, and this is KABC Nine Storytellers. Healing a Shattered Soul was published May 3rd, the same day the shooter in this case died in prison. Avowed anti-Semite Fraser Glenn Cross has been appealing his death sentence. It's believed he died of natural causes. Mindy Corcoran now lives in Florida, but she travels back to Kansas City often. It's where her Faith Always Wins Foundation is located. We caught up a few days ago during one of her visits back to town. Start off by just telling me what it is like to finally be a published author. You know, it's exciting to be a published author. My dad was a published author. He had published his own like little nutrition book and he wanted to write more and he loved history and he was always reading and always writing. And so I feel like I'm a little bit, I'm carrying on some legacy from him. He helped my brothers and me through college with all of our essays. Um, you know, it wasn't easy on computers then. It wasn't like you could do a Google share. <laughs> it was, I would write it and I would take it home to him and he would mark it up. And so um, I'm very proud. I'm very proud that I am a published author. And I was surprised at how thick the book was. I knew I had written and written and written and tried to put it in a, in a format that people could stick with it and that they could, you know, really, really move through it and understand it and, and keep the information. And so I'm very proud of two things. One, that I'm a published author, and two, that it is a nice, thick book. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but you, you know how to write. I mean, so when did you start writing, and when did you decide that you were going to do this? Um, so I started journaling right after they died. Um, a friend, Margaret Reynolds, was one of the first women that I called to the house. Her, she had a reason for me to call her. Her daughter had died the previous year of natural causes, but she had had a death, and it was a child. And she had slipped her number to me the night before, and I called her at, you know, 5.30 in the morning and said, okay, I need you. And she came, um, and she brought me my first journal, but that just seemed so sacred, that first journal. And then other people brought me journals, and, you know, the message that I got you know, from my heart was just write it out, keep writing it out. And so I started journaling. And I have eight, I mean, I have, I have lots of journals just filled and filled and filled with either messages or, you know, angry thoughts or, you know, what was going on, what I didn't want to do, what I did want to do, why did this happen, just all kinds of things were written. Several people from the beginning said, this is going to be a book. You know, you're going, to be, you're going to be writing about this one day. And, you know, in the early days, you're just so exhausted. You're like, please don't say any more about that. It makes me tired just to think about it. Um, but really, Haley, I, I wrote a lot four years ago and thought that was the book. And a literary agent, a literary agent in New York um, read it for me and said, it does not have a good story arc and it doesn't have a great ending. So I set it down. I was not upset with her. I was glad. I set it down for two years. I picked it up in June of 2020 
and I rewrote it from June of 2020 to December of 2020. And I literally said to the publisher, when I found the publisher, I said, what will it take for it to be published by April 1? I would love for it to be published before the seventh year of seven days. That was, that was a goal. And they said, if you can get it to us by December 15th. And so I did. I got it to them by December 11th. And then we had six versions, just little things here and there. If you, move, you know, moved a chapter from one place to another. And uh, the sixth version was done in March. And then maybe it was done in February. Done in February. And then it too started happening. But the publisher, Front Edge Publishing, has just been amazing. Well, the publication of this book obviously happened on... Um, I don't know what you call it, coincidental days. It was not coincidental. Yeah. I don't know how it happened, other than I would say it happens because of heaven. It happens because a friend wrote this to me. She said, people who shatter souls do not deserve to be in this world. And he died on the day that Healing a Shattered Soul was published. So I told her I stole her quote. Yeah, it's good. It was a good quote. Yeah, and... So my mom called me that night and said, he died. Those were her opening words. And I knew exactly who she was talking about. Is it like a sense of relief? It is a sense of relief because I had some concerns about the appeal only because that just needled at me just a little bit. I kept setting that aside. He went to appeals. Uh, I went to make an appeal on March 29th. And then that was going to sit with the courts for several months. And then we were going to hear about it again. And it just, the idea of knowing we were going to hear about it again, we might hear about it again, again, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to not have that person, you know, somehow encapsulated. Now, he, has, he was encapsulated. He didn't, he wasn't able to spew his hate anywhere. He didn't, he didn't have a microphone. He didn't have a megaphone when he was in prison, which was very helpful to us. Um, but, you know, I had that in my head that the appeals process was still there. And um, I feel very confident in District Attorney Steve Howe, and I felt very confident that it all was fine, but it still was going to be, a, you know, something going on. So the fact that the media won't need to hear from him, won't hear from him, won't hear from his attorneys, that is some closure that I had not expected, had not thought about. A quick note here, this was actually the second time in a couple of weeks that we had talked. Corcoran founded the annual Seven Days event to deliver a message of kindness, hope, and faith to our world. As part of this year's event on April 22nd, I helped moderate an interfaith discussion, during which Corcoran brought up the shooter's recent appeal and how she had chosen not to follow this new legal challenge. It was just too upsetting. All right, now back to our recent chat. I mean, two weeks ago today, you were sitting on a stage at Church of the Resurrection talking about that appeal and how you were choosing to kind of ignore it. I was, it, yes. And all of this and not knowing that a week and a half later things would take a big turn. Correct. Yeah. And be taken care of. It was as if, it was as if God said, I'm just going to take care of that for you. And, and I, and I say God and I, it's dad, it's re, it's a higher element. It's, you know, people who don't have faith in God. I want, I want them to believe that there, that there are higher elements. There's a different dimension that we don't really understand. Actually, sometimes I do understand it more than I did before. Um, but there, for him to have died on that day that the book was published is monumental to me uh, and our family about the book. 
you told me that Reet and your dad give you messages every day yes. in some form or fashion. Yes. And um, have they been talking to you this week? Yes. Yesterday I got to the airport and I was going through security and this little bitty girl was with her mom and her mom gave her her backpack and she had a yellow butterfly on the back of her backpack. And so I have a yellow butterfly. So Reet comes as a yellow butterfly and this little girl just had this little yellow butterfly on her. And the last time I flew into Kansas City, I ran into a woman and her two daughters, and they helped me with something. I won't go into the whole detail, but they helped me with something. And their t-shirt said, Kindness Crew. They were the Kindness Crew. And I said, of course you are. Of course you were the Kindness Crew, and of course you were helping me. And so, yes, I, I do. I get them all the time. I, several nights ago, we went to dinner um, with someone, and she didn't know me well. We were just meeting, and she had butterfly earrings on. And I said, oh, I'm noticing your really pretty butterfly earrings. And she said, thank you. She said, I've never worn them, and I just found them tonight, and I thought I would wear them. And I said, you wore them for me. <laughs> so it does happen all the time, and I'm just very open and looking for it. And it's not always butterflies, but it's very common that it's a butterfly. That's really cool. In some way. Mm -hmm. You must have written this book also. Um, I mean, I'm sure part of it maybe was cathartic to get it out or whatever, but, um, but also you must feel like there's something that you can offer to other people. You want to help other people by writing this, and what is that? I do. So several messages that I want people to understand are that there's evil in the world. And it's unfortunate, but there's evil in the world. I also want people to understand there are white supremacists who are not nice people. There are people that, there are white people that think that white supremacy doesn't exist because maybe they don't, one, think they're racist or it's not happened to them before or they don't know anyone that has had any, you know, anything racial happen to them. Well, by ignoring the fact that it is happening, and just pretending like, well, it doesn't happen to me, so it must not be. You know, that's, that's not healthy for really the rest of humanity because I'm not your typical target. And I want, that's one of the messages I want to share is that when we allow hate to continue in any form or fashion, it will at some point affect all of us. And so that's what I'm trying to say very loudly is pay attention to people around you, even if it's not, you don't think it's affecting you. In some way, it really is affecting you. And there's all kinds of trickle down and trickle effect to how it will affect all of us at some point. Maybe not to the extent it affected me, but it will. And we need to pay attention to that. that is, that's one message is to just in general, most likely the population of people, whoever they are, that think that white supremacy doesn't exist. It does exist. And, um, and we have to be aware of hate rhetoric that goes on and on and on for years. I did not spend time talking about the shooter. I don't use his name, and I didn't spend time talking about him. But he had that hate rhetoric for decades. And at some point in time, he gathered guns, you know, was allowed to have guns. I mean, it wasn't like someone was watching over him. But he did, and he shouldn't have. And, and those are really heavy conversations to have. Another message that I want people to understand is that mental health is so important. Our mental health. I had really good access to health care. What is going on with our children who don't have good access to health care? We almost lost Lucas. Um, you know, the hardest chapters for me to write were about all, the, all that we had to do to keep Lucas alive. And what we had to do as parents, we had to change our lives entirely. But we did it because 
there, we had to we had to keep him alive. You know, we wanted to keep him alive. If I could have done anything differently for my dad and Reed, I would have. But I had no control over that. And now I'm looking at my live son, and we did everything we could to keep him alive. And I, and I want so badly for other parents to have the access, you know, to any kind of care that they need, so that their children, if they suffer trauma which they will at some point in life, people suffer from life disruptions, when they suffer that, that they get the care and the acknowledgement that they deserve. There's also a message about, for anyone who's experienced grief, and so many people have in some form or another, um, that, you know, that there's a hope for life after, after that kind of grief. There is, I want it to be inspirational for people. I know that there are parts of it that are really sad. I know that there are part, people need a Kleenex box when they're reading my book. But I also try to pull in humor and real life things. And I, and I explain that I learned that I can have grief and joy at the same time, that grief and joy, sadness and joy can hold hands together. And the, and the very first time I experienced that was when I walked into Reed's high school, crying from the moment I got out of the car all the way to his locker. And as we're cleaning out his locker, I found two checks that he had never turned in to the office. And I said, Reet Griffin, you told me you turned in these checks. And I could hear him say, but mom, I just forgot. And, and I'm crying and I'm laughing because that is what love is. You know, when you love so much, you are going to hurt, but you will also find joy and you will also learn to find hope. And then lastly, how does healing a shattered soul in your story play into everything else that you are doing in your continued mission? What's happening next for you? It's almost like it's the, um, it's the mode of transportation to tell people what I'm doing. Because when I tell people, especially in a, you know, a media or PR setting, there's so many facets of what I do. So there's Faith Always Wins Foundation, and Seven Days Make a Ripple Change the World, our experiences. And now there is um, Workplace Healing, which is a for-profit company. And that is a company that I feel very, um, have felt very compelled to continue working on. And my business partner and I, Lisa Cooper, uh, plan to you know continue working on it. It's becoming a technology company. We're going to be able to help employers reintegrate their employees and once they've had a trauma. And that is so important to to tell people and give them the tools of what to say and when to say it and how to say it so that they can have healing in the workplace as well. If you would like to order Corcoran's book, head to Front Edge Publishing or locally at Rainy Day Books. It's also available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon. Thanks for listening.